morning, everyone. Welcome to day 31, our final day of the March, March Writing Challenge. We have survived the March. I think we, and now we're going to go to April Fool's Day, and who knows what's going to happen. But we've survived the March. Uh, again, this is the 7 a.m. Novelist March, March Writing Challenge. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Today, we're very lucky to hear from writer and wellness nonprofit founder, Laura Wilson, about her idea of the shadowscape and how darkness plays with light in fiction and in life. Good morning, Laura. Good morning. Thank you so much for being on the show. Laura Wilson devotes her time to exploring the intersection of storytelling, well-being, and befriending. Her short stories have been published in the Kenyan Review, Story Quarterly, American Fiction, Confrontation, Indian, Indiana Review, and others. An essay about her breast cancer journey was published on WBUR's Cognoscenti. She was awarded a 2010 Massachusetts Cultural Council Fellowship in Fiction, as well as scholarships from Breadloaf and Swanee Writers Conferences. She has served on the board and taught fiction workshops at Grub Street and for the Friends of Concord Free Public Library, where she currently curates the Concord Festival of Authors. She is also the founder of the nonprofit Be Well, Be Here, whose mission is to inspire greater well-being through creative mindful practices and the transformative power of storytelling to build compassionate communities. All right, Laura, you're doing so much. We're so excited to have you with us. Um, okay, talk to us about this idea that you have of the shadowscape and how this intersects with our lives and our, and our, our writing lives and, and how it kind of can, I think, possibly shut us down, but how we can use it to, to bring us forward and continue writing and continue going in, into our creative process. Thank you for asking about that, Michelle. And thank you for devoting another span of time to everyone's writing process. This is a really amazing thing that you do. It's very generous and very kind of you to encourage us to get up early and get going and, and be in community, basically. So I thank you for, for doing this 7 a.m. Novelist podcast. It's amazing. We all love it, as you can see in the chat. Um, so the shadow side, are we so into it? You know, go on Netflix and what are we looking at? Ooh, what's the serial killer vibe today? You know, it's we, we can't help it. It's part of the human condition. And we also have a little bit of fear about it. And maybe we have a little bit of trepidation that that exists in me. Oh, no, I don't want to admit that. And am I really going to explore this in my writing? I mean, if you ask a lot of fiction writers, they say, well, that's why I write fiction, because I don't really want anyone knowing the inner workings of my mind or my psyche, right? But, you know, where did this idea of the shadow side come from? It comes from Carl Jung, you know, the psychoanalyst. And he had this idea that we all have this and we often repress it because of that. Ooh, I'm, that's a little too human, close to the bone. But in writing, it's fascinating, isn't it? The stories we remember tend to play with that shadow side. Mm -hmm. And we also know that we're looking toward the light, right? We have both and we need both of them. So why is it important in writing to sort of explore that? Because that's where we get real. And we know what happens when, I, I like to say to students, like avoid avoidance. Right, right into that pain point and tell yourself, I am not showing anyone this. I am burning this in the backyard. Like I am burying it. I'm flushing it down the toilet. It is just, I need to have some catharsis. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to this really deep, dark place. I'm going to explore what's there and I'm going to see what comes out. If you try this as a practice, there is one caveat, which is we have to really protect ourselves from what's happening inside of us. Anyone who knows the practices of somatic experiencing, 
um, the work of Bessel van der Kolk, who wrote The Body Keeps the Score. You know, as a wellness practitioner, we can also get to that place where suddenly there's an aha moment that comes from something in our past that was traumatic, and we all carry that with us. So there's this delicate balance we have to play, which is, can I explore these sort of shadow sides of myself or put them into a character? And can I also take care of myself while I'm doing that? And we can get into that a little more if you like. Oh, that's amazing. Because I also think um, I normally ask students if they're having trouble with a character, figuring out a character to explore the similar things inside themselves. And it's usually about the character's flaws and fears and traumas and where they come from and brokenness. So what and, and sometimes people can't see those in those in their characters that they're creating. So they have to go to themselves first in order to understand them. And, and some people just aren't used to that. They're not used to exploring that side of themselves. And I usually can tell if they are as a writer because then it reflects in their characters as well. Yes. Um, and you know me, I, I think I tend to go right towards the shadow side and yes, be like, you do, <laughs> Fuck it, I don't need to take care of myself. So I think I go right. <laughs> and then I pay for it later. Um, but um, what, so what are the, the benefits? What can grow out of this in someone's writing, like in fiction writing in particular? So, so we talked about the shadow side, I think, and we can explore these things, you know, in our own journals, um, in nonfiction writing, but in your fiction writing, how do you think you would use it? Well, you know, all writing is an exercise in empathy, right? We're trying to understand the human condition, ours, or if we're non-creative nonfiction writers, another's, or if we're fiction writers, we can make it up. And we don't, as I've said before, you know, we in with you and we, you and I've talked about this, we don't randomly pick a topic. We don't head toward that topic because it's like, oh, what's coming out of the newspaper this morning? You know, we could pick 15 things, but we're, we beeline to the thing that resonates. And it resonates because maybe in our subconscious, we're trying to work through something that doesn't make sense. And yeah. so where do we go? Well, we tend to want to go to the like light and airy part because that's easier to cope with. But deep down, we have these embedded ways of trying to get through something hard. And you, you know, you have a certain practice, Michelle, where you'll head right toward that, whoa, what really went on here? You know, I, I think of William Trevor's book, Felicia's Journey, which you taught and I learned about from you. And that's a great example of somebody who is the creepiest character, sort of there's a seemingly insidious thread throughout the story and you're not really sure of what's happening. And when you get the reveal and you learn why Mr. Hilditch Hildi yeah. yes, is like a creep basically and how it impacts Felicia, when you learn the reason immediately there, you're like, oh, oh, that's the reason he had this trauma. And it doesn't excuse behavior, as we all know, if, if we have a particular trauma that involves another, it doesn't excuse the perpetrator's behavior, but it makes us have this sense of understanding that feels somewhere in our heart, almost satisfying, like, oh, that was yeah. creeping me out, but I kind of get it. And yeah. so the, the benefit of exploring it in practice, which you have to do, as I said, carefully, in my opinion, um, I'm trauma trained. And so are all the people at my nonprofit to understand that we can accidentally say things and trigger people, it happens. And then if they don't have a skillful way to help themselves, you know, what are they going to do about it? So we have to build into it. But the benefit of it is deepening that sense of empathy. 
It, yeah. it deepens it to bring it toward compassion and they're not the same thing. You know, empathy, you can look at a lot of research that's out there now. There's even like bibliotherapy where people will prescribe books to help you get through hard times because certain books are exploring that. That's what writers do. They have a dialogue with the reader. You and I were just talking about, about George Saunders and he's a person who's saying that you're stuck in your writing. Try to come back with new eyes. And if you can't bring your own new eyes, you know, think of someone you know who's going to read it and how they might feel reading it. And now you're engendering empathy, right? Saying, okay, I can take a different perspective. And then to get to that compassionate place, you know, my mentor was the late great Andre Debuse, not the third, his dad. And he used to say, you know, who's really caring? That kind of feeling of like, how can you take some despicable character and find a little bit of compassion to write that person's truth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were talking with Randy Susan Myers about building believable antagonists, and we were talking about exactly the same thing, like having that compassion to make them human. And that's why I always go back to William Trevor, because the Hilditch character is incredible because he becomes quite human in a way that we might not want him to right away because we want to just make him a monster and push him away. Um, but he's a part of all this this good and horrible human <laughs> Meyer and, and, and mashup that we're involved in. And so to be able to see that and understand that is so important. Um, and it's interesting. So like, even though I, I tend to go right towards the shadowscape, I think, and I'm very interested in that, I always surprise myself as well. So in this recent novel that I've been working on, um, the mother figure kept showing up and I didn't, I don't think, and, and I just um, lost my mother like a, a little more than a year ago. And I don't think I even realized what was happening until I got some distance from the book. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And, and can I use this? And I, and I have decided to, to, to lean into it more. Um, I was also talking to Michael Lowenthal. We'll, we'll, we'll hear his talk later, but sometimes when you're writing, uh, begins to veer, um, and it might be because um, you are your subconscious is taking you in a certain direction. If you're writing veers off course from what you had originally planned or what you think you're supposed to write about or think what you're supposed to do, if your writing begins to to veer, you're actually like if you're driving, you're actually supposed to steer into um, the curve instead of always trying to correct it. Um, and so I'm basically steering into the curve on that and seeing and seeing what happens and being awake to it. But it can take a lot of distance and time mm -hmm. um, to to really see that. Um, how about in your own work? How have you seen this come alive and work for you in your own work? Well, what's really interesting now is because I spend so much time. Um, running a nonprofit. And let me say to anyone out there who's thinking of it, if you're a writer, you know, hold on to your hat because I have learned a lot along the way and you're going to have to agree to make a lot of mistakes and live with that and be okay with it. But um, I'm actually co-authoring a book right now with um, a, a colleague of mine who's also in the mindful wellness space. And what we're finding is that we are, we are co-authoring a book about the practice that we're talking about here. And what we're doing is we're writing our hardest stories to each other. And we have a really beautiful friendship that's evolved over the last few years um, through the space of mindful wellness and meditation. She's actually from Delhi, India. She's the person who scaled and implemented Google's mindful wellness educational program. So for me to be able to work with her is a total blessing. But what I'll say is that, you know, it's hard for us to 
to write these things. We're writing about our pain points with intention, trying to unpack what really happened there from a nonfiction perspective. Now, we may not include all of those excerpts in the book, but we want to understand them and how we're getting through life using practices that address this. And writing just does that by its very nature. So everyone out there, here's the thing. You're already doing these practices. Just by being a writer, you're, you're sort of gearing up the most important part of being mindful, which is the getting into that observational mode. And so if you can heighten your awareness in any way at all, and I advocate meditation because I've been doing it for 40 years, and that's why I started this. And as a cancer survivor, it got me through a lot of really dark stuff. Um, but it made me understand that that dark side, that shadowscape, that fear-based behavior, and that fear space in which we sometimes live, and a cancer patient certainly does, especially one who lost their mom to cancer at the age I am right now, which is 56. You know, if you go in there and you sort of get into the room with yourself, you have to come up with something. You're there. You know, mm -hmm. we're present for it. So what, what is it that we come to? Elizabeth Gilbert has this beautiful quote. It's, um, be a gentle steward of your experiences here. Isn't that gorgeous? Mm, and, yeah. and she also does this thing when she's having a hard time, which is she writes a love letter to herself. Yeah. And we can do that. We can, we can be kinder to ourselves. We can notice like, you know what? I really want to write today, but I'm having a hard time. My space is in Concord, as you know, Michelle, and everyone's also welcome to come out here and enjoy the beauty of it and do the practice, writing, mindfulness, whatever. Um, but you know, Thoreau was here walking in the woods. There's an article that just came out about why walking benefits. I think it was in the Times, New York Times, why walking benefits us. And as writers, it really does. If you get stuck, go get a breath of fresh air, go look at a tree. Okay. This engages all that limbic system stuff that helps you to calm yourself down. And when we get to a place where we don't know what we're doing, like I did, and I'll tell you my experience was four years stuck in the same place. Why would I do that to myself? Now I know you just jump ahead, put yeah. your placeholder in there, jump ahead, go to what draws you, bring your awareness and your attention with you and get curious. And that's what gets us through even into that shadowscape. Like what is the underlying thing here? The other thing you can do is look at the emotional state of the self and the character. So when you look at your emotional state in yourself as a practice, it's not to blame and shame yourself. It's non-judgmental. That's what mindfulness in its original intent is, right? Being aware of the present moment on purpose without judgment. That's John Kabat-Zinn's definition. There are many. And the ancient practices have even better ones, in my opinion, but that's me. But if you look at a book like Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart, where she's unpacking 87 emotional states and looking at the complexities of emotions, it, we can name you know, the top five. That's easy. But what else is there? So we ask ourselves that when we go into our work and ourselves. I feel that it's real. It feels that way in my side. And what else is there? Great. So that's where we move from being sort of indoctrinated into like the shadow. I'm stuck with it to uh, No, there's other pieces of myself and that's the light. Right. And it's so funny, like the Midwestern in me, when you talk about writing a love letter to yourself, I'm like, no, I know, you know, you're not alone. Thich Nhat Hanh is one of my favorite teachers. No way I'm doing that, but I am going to go for a walk today. Yeah, so there you go. And so you know your own practice. Which is a gift to myself, yes. 
and a huge gift to myself. And then I can write for the rest of the day. So we have some really good questions in the chat. And this one, somebody wrote, and I think this is really important. She says, this feels really abstract. To get more concrete, are you saying that the shadow side is something to consider when building characters rather than setting? And for characters, do you mean it showing some trauma in their background that is driving them? That is a very good question. I love that. So I would say to whoever wrote that question, what do you think? Because yeah. you know it is. You know yeah. it is. We just don't want to go into it. So, and to, to be concrete, it's to say what we've said, sort of dancing around the whole issue, go there with your character. Go there and hold your character's hand or say, here, I'll draw you toward the light. But before I do that, I want to I understand your dark side. I want to yeah. know what it is. All right, let's think of, you know, one of the iconic dark sides out there, Darth Vader, right? Take the mask off and who is Darth Vader? So that's in the character. The character is both. And we as humans don't want to go to the, the mistakes we've made or those traumas we've suffered because it's hard to live there. But through our characters, we can explore how do we acknowledge that this is really a piece of me? And how do we show that it's not, it doesn't define me as a character, as a person? It, it's, it's just a piece of a puzzle. You know, if you look at things like IFS, <laughs> internal family systems, uh, a therapy started by Richard Schwartz, he's saying that we are all component parts of this whole, you know, there's the five-year-old self, there's the, the teenager that we would never want to have to be again. You know, there's all of this stuff. It lives within us. And really what that word mindfulness is, it comes from this word sati, S-A-T-I, from the ancient Pali language. And it means a lot of different things because it has different de definitions, but one of them is standing beside memory. So we come to the current place where we are with all those experiences and those things that happened. We don't have to go relive them to know that they're there. They're there. They inform us right now. So if you want to see what is happening with your character, check out the what now, right? The, the right now is happening in that character. Okay. Could you say the character has a choice to make this or this? They're going to make this choice. Why? Yeah. What's informing that choice? So there's a way to notice how you can access a little bit of the experiential part of their life that might have been a dark side. I love that standing beside memory. So this is, I mean, Lisa Crone talks, this is what Lisa Crone talks about in her story genius, because she talks about trying to really understand a character's and understand the character's background. And as you move forward in the story, making sure that you're always hitting the third rail, she talks about, of what is really making the character cook. And usually that's some wound or past trauma that's that's going to come alive in every scene and will be a part of every decision and every action that the character makes whether they're usually they're not aware of it because <clears throat> I actually find characters that talk as if they've been in too much therapy to be a little annoying so normally normally we get through them um uh, but she she talks about that that um that third rail and I I, I generally think of it you know, this, this, this past, the shadowscape might also be, I normally talk about it as the character's wound. Um, and that in fiction, our characterization is usually a little bit simpler because you're trying to explore something specific. So a character's wound could be their defining um, characteristic in the story. And you find the character's wound and, and um, Josh Wiley says for plotting, I find a character's wound and I poke, poke a stick at it. And that's my plot. Um, and so notice that's about understanding that a character can be wounded, that a character is um, standing on the side of memory, that they're carrying the, all of that 
baggage, I guess, forward into their lives. And that is what story is about. Um, and so when you think about, well, this seems abstract, Again, this is part of the underwater uh, existence of your characters that you can put on the page, but you don't have to. It might just be something that they act through. Um, and it's something that you as the writer understand about them. And again, you can include that like in Felicia's journey when he actually includes a flashback of memories of what um, things that his mother did to him. Um, but we get it rather late. Um, and so um, that's one that's one way to make it less abstract. Another question, how do you write about painful points in life without offending family and friends? If a writer is um, in the family, there goes the family. Mm, that's a wonderful question and a hard one to answer and yeah. a hard one to contemplate, right? So the question is, why are you writing and who are you writing for? Are you writing for them or are you writing for yourself? And yeah. that no one can answer this question for you and no one can take care of it for you. You know, you have to, there's a certain kind of boldness we have being able to put anything on the page, right? And someone's saying both in the chat, right, exactly. We're also, I think, writing to just process it. That doesn't mean we're going to show it to the world. And I like what you said that about that, Michelle, like we, to understand is the point. That's the empathy and compassion place. But there is this another caveat here, which is we don't want to gratuitously explain away everything. Like I know if you saw the, the upgraded version, if you want to call it that, the later version of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, they went back into like the trauma side and the experience of, of you know, Willy Wonka. Like, do it really? Do we really? No, not necessary. Like, you know, let's go back to the 60s version or whatever. But this is the thing. It isn't that we have to say, and let me explain every single single behavioral trait of this character, because yeah. that really makes your reader go, oh my God, like you said, like, really, are we going to go on and on? No, it, it's a, it's an understanding that the writer has in creating the character to know that the character is not one-sided, that they have, it's multidimensional, this, this human that you're creating. They can't just come out of a vacuum and be perfect, you know, and young writers do that a lot. You know, they don't want to go into a shadow side of any character because they're like, oh, then, you know, people won't like it, you know, but you know, people don't like Humbert Humbert either, but they read Lolita. You know, it's it's not that we're going to be able to create a believable character if we don't touch on a little bit of that poke a stick at it place yeah. and, and say that it exists. Again, I mean, brokenness and wounds is what makes a character relatable. Um, we yeah, talk about making it relatable or interesting brokenness and wounds is, is what, because we all have these things, whether we want to talk about them or not. Um, but yeah. I mean, you don't necessarily want, again, your your fiction to be uh, exploration of this psyche and to be one long therapy session, but right. to, to, though it can be a good exercise if your character is not telling you the truth and, and you can't get inside your character to write a scene of a character that's in, and usually writing a scene of a character that's with a bad therapist. I, I normally recommend they be with like a, a therapist that was from the army or something that's screaming and yelling at them to be honest about themselves <laughs> so that they can, so that's usually more uh, useful. But um, um, understanding that deeper way of the character because it's gonna feed into the way they see the world. And this is what's important about fiction is that 
I think writers forget that your character's view of the world is warped. Um, and actually all our all, all of our views of the world is warped. But to remember that you are working through that camera instead of we see film and television, and, and that's an actually an objective point of view that doesn't have a character behind it, that doesn't have a personality behind it, unless you have a, an amazing cinematographer. Um, but in fiction, you're able to work through a warped. Uh, point of view that is useful to you. So everything they see, everything they don't see, how they describe things, um, how they enter a room, the words they choose to speak, it's all going to be about this understanding of their past and carrying that forward, even if you don't uh, put the past on the page. Yeah. Um, and for writing about those painful points, um, uh, again, I would just I would just put it on the page. The problem is that family always think that you're writing about them anyway, like even if you aren't. Um, and I think we're always circling back around to um, these same themes and the things that have happened to us and, and the and the people that we've lived with. So again, as 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 Laura said, just just keep just write it for yourself and see what happens. Um, I think lots of times you'd be surprised what actually happens. Well, and here's um, here's a little re uh, release valve for that. So yeah. when you're writing it, your character has, again, comes to a crossroads, has to make a decision. So then you can write, what would I do? I would do this. I understand that. That would be my choice. Okay, what would the character do? And then if you ever have to describe to your family what you're writing about, I would have made different choices than this character because you know that. And you're not writing about something to try to obfuscate your own personal preferences. You're writing about something to understand what's another way of looking this at this. So again, you can come to that crossroads and you can say, here's a choice, what else is there? And this also helps you navigate the uncertain spaces in your writing where you're not really sure what to do. And if you can't decide, you can leave yourself a list. Here are three options, this, that, or the other, and then decide which one will I choose and what could a potential consequence of those choices be? And that might help inform you how you're going to make the choice. Am I going to that shadow side or is this a time to turn toward the light? And I would like to leave you everyone with a couple little, you know, mindful writing ways through. One of them is to the, understand that when you're observing deeply, you are observing deeply. Like you are in that observational mode. You look out at that skate out landscape out your window and you can look for a simile when you describe that tree branch or with the bird on it whatever try to see it with new eyes fresh eyes it's in you and that's the creative part of you that's very poetic and lyrical and beautiful and you all have it so I thank you for sharing your stories it's brave right to know that also I am a big advocate of meditation and meditation can be many things Michelle just told you she goes for a walk that's a meditation. I was mentioning Thich Nhat Hanh, who's the person who writes letters like, oh, darling, he's a Vietnamese monk. Of course he can say that. But he also advocates walking on the earth as if your feet are kissing that ground, right? So we can just get into these ways of learning new practices. Journal into that shadow. Write about it. Go there. Write about the shadow. If you write something and you are uncomfortable with it being written down and I can get to that space myself like oh hope nobody finds that journal just tear that page out and get rid of it but there is something to be said for experiencing what it feels like to write about that and yeah. going into the emotional place and lastly in life and in writing find balance right there's a beautiful word in the practice equanimity what is equanimity? Equanimity is such a beautiful thing. Thich Nhat Hanh has a, a practice that's about equanimity we can breathe in 
cool head. We can breathe out, warm heart. Okay, you need a break from your writing because you're unclear, just cool head, warm heart, right? There's that. And then also when you're writing, you know what your strengths are. You know what your learning points are, your growing edges. We can also call them weaknesses if we want. We know what they are identify them and then find the balance. If I find a place that feels weak, what's my strength to put into that space? That weakness can come from being nervous or afraid of the shadow side. Explore that a little bit with kindness and care and compassion for yourself. Then you can open the door to what else is there and look through that. So balance and equanimity as you live, as you find it, which is really taking care of yourself and I advocate that for every single human out there that we're trying, we're starting to see that out there and it really matters. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. And think about too, and going back to young, um, and I always go back to the idea of the wolf. So if we are finding these things in ourselves for your fiction, you'll see this time and time again, what writers have done is then placed um, a mask on that shadow. They've they've placed a face on that shadow to be able to write about it and write into it. Um, so this is the wolf in Little Red Riding Hood. Um, and this is, um, I don't know if anyone knows the story of Bluebeard, which is this scary old man that a woman has to um, marry. And he tells her, you can go into any door in my castle, but you can't go into this one. Um, a lot of the, a lot of our famous fairy tales are actually named after the shadow side. Um, so Little Red Riding Hood, the fact that she's got a hood on is because she's going through her menses and she has to go into the forest, the scary adult world. You've got Cinderella. Cinderella is named after the fireplace, the dirty fireplace that she has to sleep in. She's named after her poverty. Um, and again, Bluebeard, the, the figure of fear and darkness in the st story has the name of the story. So going into that shadowscape, exploring that with yourself, and then even like pushing it off to the side, giving it a face, giving it a name, writing into that, understanding that. You'll see a lot of old Gothic stories of some of my favorites that are exploring these parts of the psyche um, that can really um, bring, your, bring your writing alive. So I think you can work both of it. Um, take care of yourself. Um, but And that's what fiction is about. We can explore all these things in fiction. It's not real, <laughs> right? <laughs> we can play with it um, and we can... Um, uh, just explore those sites and 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 feel it out. We can choose to publish it. We can choose not, but it's but it's our own creative worlds that we can sink our teeth into. Okay, I'm gonna stop talking. <laughs> hey, I don't want to stop talking, Laura. This is our last day. <laughs> Congratulations! Woohoo! And onward, everyone. You still can do this. Just sit in the memory of everyone else's with you because you 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 can stand beside that memory. Absolutely, absolutely. So everyone. Um, look for uh, what we're doing next on our Substack channel, 7amnovelist.substack.com. I do have ideas of what we're doing next. Most likely this summer, we're going to be doing a lot of uh, close readings of writers' first pages to, to see if how and how they um, and how and why they actually work. Um, and so look forward to that. Um, you can go back through and listen to all the podcast episodes as well, anytime you wish. Um, and if you really like what we're doing, please follow, rate, and review the podcast so that we can reach other listeners. And yeah, I just don't want to let everyone go, but we're going to have to let you go because I need to get you to your writing desk. Okay, Laura, I think, I think you're at your writing desk. Are you going to be able to get I am. Here we go, everyone. Woo! I'm with you. Here we go. All right. Thank you, Michelle.